electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people, my friends, I'm just trying to make you a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to put it in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Now, we keep waiting for the bull to get exhausted. We figure it's kind of real tired after a seven-week stampede, right? But sometimes we forget that it's a proverbial bull, not a real bull. And it's an agglomeration of all sorts of stocks that down and outers that are recovering, plain old value, growth, and even super growth. We can't forget that each of these groups has taken a turn for the better during this amazing period of strength. Even if today was pretty much a sedate day, with the Dow gaining 57 points, S&P declining 0.01%, NASDAQ advancing 0.35%. Now, earlier in the week, Fed Chief Jay Powell said he's now as worried about a slowdown as he's worried about inflation. And he doesn't want all of his hard work to end up causing a recession. That plus this thing called the dot plot, a quarterly compilation of what Fed officials are thinking about the future direction of interest rates, show that we might be on track, get this, for three rate cuts in 2024. Possibly starting as soon as March. And that spurred a huge amount of buying in the stocks that really need lower interest rates, mostly indebted companies that have been hurt by the endless tightening cycles, but also retailers, home builders, material companies. Today, though, New York Fed President John Williams told CNBC, we aren't really talking about rate cuts now. That stopped the rally for the interest rate sensitive stocks in its tracks. But did the money leave the market? Uh-uh. It came right back to the super growth stocks that never needed the Fed's help to grow. I'm talking about companies like Salesforce and Palo Alto Networks, two CNBC investing club faves that just won't quit. Problem is, I frankly don't buy what Williams was selling. It was only two days ago that Jay Powell offered his views, which made me realize I was wrong about how quickly the Fed would actually be cutting rates. I got there by parsing everything that was said and done from the press conference to the dot plot, and there was no way you could argue seriously that rate cuts weren't on their minds. No way. However, we're going to have to get used to this kind of back and forth as the Fed's reluctant to play with an open hand between meetings. And with that in mind, you know what we ought to do? Let's take a look at our game plan for next week. All right, so Monday, not a lot of action there. I actually left it blank. Rather than try to foment something, there was like a hiko that's coming, that's uh, reporting. But I said, no, let's just say not that much happening. Because, uh, come on, it's a big vacation kind of thing week. Uh, the earnings parade, though, starts on Tuesday. And that's with FedEx after the close. The remarkable company has gotten re-energized under CEO Raj Subramanian, who's given us the holy grail of business. He's cutting costs dramatically 
while revenues are going higher. It's a wonder to see, and we've been behind him from day one. I think FedEx will deliver a terrific quarter, but if there's any shortfall whatsoever, please take advantage of the pullback to do some buying, as Superman is engineering a long-term refresh of a company that had been showing choppy returns for some time. I like this new FedEx a lot. By the way, I like the e-commerce for the holiday, too. Wednesday morning, we hear from General Mills, which has seen its stock fall from $90 in May to $65 now. And I'd say a lot of that decline comes because of the fear of these GLP-1 weight loss drugs that they could be cutting into their cereal and snack foods businesses. Hey, listen, with brands like Cinnamon Toast Crunch, Cocoa Puffs, Betty Crocker, and Pillsbury, you think they'd have plenty of reason to be worried, right? Except that every company from the packaged food industry that's reported so far has said they've seen no slowdown whatsoever from these drugs. And after that, they, what happens? Well, their stocks go right up. General Mills has a fantastic pet food business, too. And I find it unlikely that any pet is actually currently taking Wigovi or Munjaro uh, or any of those other wacky names that Novo Nordisk and Eli Lilly have come up with for their once-a-week shots that can cause you to lose about 20% of your body weight, although there's plenty of lost muscle in there with lost fat. After the close, Micron reports. And this commodity chipmaker has had a bad habit of running to the quarter. In other words, the stock goes up into the quarter and then disappointing causing the stock to experience a severe drop, only then to find new, even more aggressive buyers. My take, if you can handle the volatility, buy some Micron ahead and then buy some after, as this company's prospects are directly tied to an economic expansion, which I think is going to refresh. If the Fed follows through with what Jay Powell talked about Wednesday, not with what the New York Fed president said today, then Micron's chips will soon be in high demand. They're cyclical chips. And don't forget, we also have that new refresh cycle coming from PCs. That will drive plenty of demand, too. That's something I've been talking about that no one else believes in, but believe me, I'm going to be right. Thursday morning, we get results from Carnival. Yes, the cruise cohort, which includes Norwegian and Royal Caribbean, seems to find a new analyst champion almost every single day. The analysts who cover these stocks want to be positive on all of them, but the one that's bedeviling the most is Carnival which tends to report weaker numbers than its cruise compadres. I think you're going to get some upgrades no matter what, as analysts wax about how cruises represent great value. Now, recently we spoke to Cintas. Had him on the show here. The company primarily, primarily serves small, medium-sized businesses with all sorts of services, from uniforms to first aid kits to fire protection. Cintas has seen no slowdown despite the Fed's efforts to slow the economy. When we listen to them this time, I bet we'll be stunned that this company can keep putting up insanely good numbers. Boy, if the market goes down on any of these days, buy this stock. You know what? I feel the same way about paychecks, but Wall Street doesn't. Even as the stock of this payroll processor has done well, very well over time, and it pays a terrific dividend. Just be aware that paychecks catches more than its fair share of downgrades, even when it does well. It's unfair. Life's unfair. After the close of the most important quarter of the week, Nike. I think this one's very much a study in the psychology of Wall Street. The community of analysts who cover Nike had turned very bearish after a few light quarters. But there's no sense of worry now. Of course, then it was in, it, you know, all the way up here. They now like it as one after another analyst upgrades it. I get the sense that even up here at 121 and change, far removed from the bad old days of late September when it traded at $88, there's still plenty of analysts who want to get more positive. Therefore, I think Nike works both before and after. Finally, the Fed likes these personal consumption uh, expenditures. They call it the PCE data. Uh, and we get those uh, every, you get them in, you know, every month. And frankly, they've become a lot more important under this Fed than other Feds. I think Jay Powell really likes them. I found myself thinking that maybe this guy Williams, the Fed spoiler, wants to see these numbers because they might be running too hot. But I think that we may finally be through with that really scalding inflation kind of numbers. The question now will be, are the numbers too cool? So here's the bottom line. 
The market's been up week after week after week, so everyone's waiting for a breather. But we may not have one next week if all these companies report the kind of numbers that I'm expecting. Tis the season for upside surprises. Enjoy them. They won't last forever. Let's go to Chad in Washington. Chad. Hey, booyah, Mr. Kramer. Thanks for booyah, taking my Chad. call. Of course. What's going on, my friend? I was wondering, now that they finally posted a solid quarter, is it finally time to buy the next Nike Under Armour? No, I don't think, you know, I, I can't go for that one. I don't think it's the next uh, Nike. I did think the number was a little bit better. I have to admit that. I think the stock could go to 10, but I'm not looking for a big move. I'm just not. Let's go to Sam in Pennsylvania. Sam. Jim, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. How about you, partner? You know, Jim, I'm doing all right. I'll tell you, you know, the hottest buzzword I hear on Wall Street right now, it's got AI. AI this, AI that. Everybody's focused on the best GPU. NVIDIA seems to have it. Who knows? Anyway, as we head into 2024, I think we got to look at some of these, you know, large to mid-cap stocks that could be the next MAG7. And one of them, if NVIDIA has the chips, NVIDIA and AMD have the chips, I think Snowflake might have the data warehousing ability with their software. And if I had to guess, I think Snowflake is going to be a big beneficiary of all this spending going into AI. What do you think? I agree with you. I think the key thing is there are a lot of companies that want to get into artificial intelligence. They don't want to just spend all the money. Okay, They don't want to just go buy a lot of, 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 uh, of NVIDIA chips, not know what to do with them. So you rent the cloud through Snowflake. You watch their analytics. You figure out how to use it. And then you go big. And that's why I think Snowflake's going to have a dynamite 2024. Let's go to Ian in North Carolina. Ian. Jimmy Chill. How are we doing, my friend? Oh, man, I'm trying to, trying to keep a sneeze back, frankly. I don't know if I can. Nobody, yeah, else, nobody on TV ever sneezes, so I don't know what to do. <laughs> well, hey, uh, I've got my eyes on Parker Hannafin, but it seems to just keep going up and up, and I can't find an entry point. Should I stay away, or is there still room to run? No, it can go higher. This is really one of the premier industrials in the country. Nobody talks about it. It did hit a 52-week high today. I, wow, what a high. Why don't you buy half now? And if it ever comes in, which I don't think it will, you'll still have something on the books. It is really a hot stock. It acts like a big artificial intelligence stock here. All right, everyone's waiting for this rally to take a rest. But that may not be the case if the companies that are reporting next week give us the kind of report of numbers I'm expecting on Mad Money tonight. Patrick Doyle, the turnaround artist who made Domino's Pizza actually taste good, has been serving as executive chairman, and he's working real hard to sleeves rolled up of Restaurant Brands International. And the company's seeing some real strength here since he's gotten in. So after his recent run, is it too late to get in the stock? They got those great brands, Burger King, Popeyes. I'll give you my take. Then there's a new powerhouse venue in Las Vegas. It's called The Sphere. And while it might be a marvel to look at, could it be a marvel for your portfolio? I'm taking a closer look at the extremely speculative stock and sharing where I come down. And even amid record highs, you still have to be, hold yourself in just a little diversified portfolio, handle any major market move, because you don't know when it's going to come down. So I'm sizing up your portfolios when we play MI Diversified. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Cramer on X. Have a question? Tweet Cramer. Hashtag Mad Mentions. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. Or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Looking for a rewarding, life-changing opportunity that enhances the lives of children in your community? With almost 50 years of experience, Huntington Learning Center is the nation's leading K-12 tutoring and test prep franchise. 
dedicated to shaping brighter futures for our students and franchisees. Huntington is the top revenue-producing supplemental education franchise in the U.S., and our proven system is the key to success for you and your students. The Huntington Advantage includes low startup cost, turnkey systems, dedicated support teams, national and local marketing support, and multiple revenue streams to help you build a life-enriching and profitable business. No education experience needed. In today's environment, the need for tutoring has never been greater. When you become part of Huntington Learning Center, you're filling an urgent need in the growing $5 billion supplemental education industry. To learn more, visit HuntingtonFranchise.com. Make a meaningful difference, pursue your dreams of business ownership, and be a positive force in your community. Don't wait. Visit HuntingtonFranchise.com today. We need to talk about The Sphere, the unmissable new attraction in Las Vegas that's become a social media sensation. You know the big spherical arena that's covered in 580,000 square feet of LED lights, which allows this exterior to turn into just about anything. It's been a basketball, it's an incredibly creepy eyeball, jack-o'-lantern for Halloween, definitely the most interesting way to advertise. Now, you've probably seen The Sphere, but you might not know that you can actually invest in this because it's the primary asset of a company called Sphere Entertainment. But should you? I think Sphere is very exciting, but you need more than excitement to justify buying a stock, and I'm not sure this one gives you that. First, let me give you some background. Sphere is a descendant of the old Madison Square Garden Company, best known for owning the New York Knicks, the New York Rangers, some related regional sports networks, many other sporting events, and of course, a bunch of venues, Madison Square Garden, Radio City Music Hall, the Beacon Theater, iconic real estate if you live near New York City. But over the past decade or so, the Madison Square Garden corporate family has gone through a dizzying series of reorganizations, so many that it has really turned off a lot of investors. In 2015, they spun off everything but the television networks. Their remaining TV company was renamed MSG Networks, and the spinoff of everything else took the name Madison Square Garden. In 2020, the new Madison Square Garden broke up again, splitting into sports team business, MSG Sports, and a company that just owns venues, MSG Entertainment. Then in 2021, MSG Entertainment bought back the MSG Networks TV business that was spun off eight years ago. So how about the Sphere? All right, for years, this was just a long-delayed, massively over-budget construction project belonging to MSG Entertainment. But right before they finished construction, the company did one more breakup. Every other venue became the new MSG Entertainment, while the Sphere became its own thing named Sphere Entertainment, but also kept the TV networks. Why separate from the Sphere? Well, because unlike every other venue, the Sphere is not just an event space. It's also an advertising business. Somehow it's become the most iconic site in Las Vegas, which is really saying something. This fall, we learned that Sphere is asking $450,000 per day for advertisers to take over its exterior screens. Wow. All right, that's a business in a nutshell. Sphere Entertainment makes money from its regional sports networks and the tri-state area, uh, which also includes a direct-to-consumer streaming product called MSG+, and it makes money from the Sphere, both as a venue and the world's coolest billboard. Sphere event lineups, uh, there's, like, it kicked off this fall with a residency by U2, which has generated a ton of buzz because it turns out that the visuals inside the Sphere are just as impressive as the ones outside. They've already booked tons of big concerts. And on top of that, they also host regular showings of Postcard from Earth. That's an experience that includes a Darren Aronofsky movie shot specifically for the Sphere and seats that shake, kind of like one of the Tim Rogers Disney World. So Sphere Entertainment has a good story, but does it have a good business? Is it a good stock? Because this is mad money. 
Well, the stock's certainly been a solid performer. It is up nearly 57% year-to-date. But frankly, much of these gains seem to be based on how cool the thing looks. The stock was choppy throughout the first half of the year as that last MSG Entertainment breakup unfolded. But it started moving this summer once they turned on the Sphere's exterior, and people could see how compelling it was as an ad space. Then, after a small pullback in the late summer and early fall, the stock rallied again in early October after the first U2 shows showed people how cool the inside of the venue was. Since then, Sphere stock has come in, falling from $43 in change at its October 2nd highs to around $32 today. And the news flow really hasn't been all that positive, to put it mildly. In the early November, the New York Post reported that Sphere's CFO, Gautam Ranji, had quit suddenly after, I'm going to quote it here, an angry bout of yelling and screaming from James Dolan. I don't know. I do that. But that's okay. Uh, Dolan is the billionaire chairman and CEO who also owns the Knicks and the Rangers. Not long ago, after, we learned that the mayor of London had blocked Sphere's application for a similar venue in the city, taking some shots at the Sphere in the process. I mean, he called it, quote, bulky, unduly dominant and incongruous, end quote, which I think is the polite British way of saying he thinks it's hideous. Sphere said that they were disappointed by the London decision, but they were, quote, many forward-thinking cities that are eager to bring this technology to their communities, end quote. I certainly hope so, but the company's long-term growth strategy hinges on building new Sphere venues in all sorts of cities around the world. And at present, it's not clear where they're headed next. You can build something like this in Vegas. They pride themselves on having a crazy skyline, but I imagine it's very hard to get the permits for another Sphere somewhere else. Paris? I don't know. Berlin? I think. Up to them to figure it out. Then there was an odd situation last week. Stock dropped 15.5% in a single session on Tuesday before bouncing right back, gaining 10% last Wednesday. Here's what happened. Now, last Tuesday morning, Sphere filed to sell $225 million in convertible senior notes, and that just freaked investors out entirely. This is not just new debt, it's new debt that can transform into stock. Dilutive. Remember what I told you before? The Sphere costs a fortune to build. Originally, it was supposed to cost $1.2 billion, but when all was said and done, it came in at $2.3 billion. The company already had roughly $750 million in net debt at the end of the most recent quarter, which is a lot for a company with $1.1 billion market capitalization. Now it's taking on even more debt. Uh, looking at next year's EBITDA estimates, Sphere Entertainment would have a leverage ratio north of five times. Take it from me. That is ridiculously high, and it looks like it'll only get worse. So that's why the stock sold off. Then it rebounded because the next morning, analysts at Guggenheim Securities upgraded Sphere Entertainment because the firm announced that the convertible note offering also included some positive updates on the business itself. For example, Sphere's on track to actually turn a profit this quarter. That is a big deal. In the end, though, it's a high-risk proposition with a questionable long-term growth tra- tra- trajectory. Of course, Sphere Entertainment also owns a bunch of regional sports networks, But I don't think that's enough to justify recommending the stock. Frankly, I'm actually indifferent to the regional sports networks, and not just because they show Knicks games, not the Sixers. The problem is it's cable. And cable keeps falling victim to cord cutting. They do have their own digital streaming service, MSG Plus, but that's not enough to make me excited about this one. For what it's worth, the Guggenheim analyst who just upgraded Sphere last week, he hates that regional sports network's business. He said it would be worth $7 per share if they sold the TV business altogether. So here's the bottom line. Sure, Sphere's a really cool story, definitely. But the stock has run substantially despite a rough balance sheet and the fact that we have no idea if more cities will be willing to build something like this. Let it happen, okay? Now, while I'll be watching this one, I honestly don't want to stick my neck out for it. See, Sphere turns out to be just too risky for me. Man, money's back after the break. 
after the break. Is the stock ticker QSR good for more than just a quick return? Kramer placed an order for market wisdom, and he's serving it up next. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big believer in the great man theory of investing. There's some executives with such great track records that they automatically deserve the benefit of the doubt. Which brings me to Restaurant Brands International, the parent of Burger King, Popeyes, Tim Hortons, and Firehouse Subs. 13 months ago, these guys put in a new executive chairman, but he's an old friend of our show, Patrick Doyle. He's formerly the turnaround artist CEO of Domino's Pizza before he retired a few years ago. And I immediately recommend the stock because if anyone can get the business growing again, it's Doyle who has taken a real hands-on role, even though he's executive chairman. At Domino's, York shared one of the single greatest comebacks I have ever seen. Back in 2010, he started running commercials about how bad the pizza tasted. Tasted like cardboard, he said. And then he rolled out a new, far superior recipe. He also embraced digital delivery long before the competition. He understood tech. From the time he took over in 2010 to the time he retired in 2018, Get this, the stock skyrocketed from $12 to $271, and that's without even including the $3 special dividend that he paid in 2012. Doyle's great at breathing new growth into an aging franchise, which is exactly what restaurant brands needed. See, the company's controlled by an alpha called 3G Capital. It's a very smart Brazilian private equity firm that has a tendency to be a little obsessive about cost controls, which is fine enough way to grow earnings, but can sometimes put a real stunt to the company's growth. We spoke with Doyle on the night he was appointed. He came on the show because he knows that we, we're really intrigued by everything he does. And, you know, I've got to tell you, ever since he's behind restaurant brands, well, look out. Stock's given us a 27% return, including dividends since Doyle's appointment, outpacing the 20% you would have from the S&P 500. But it hasn't all come in a straight line. When we last spoke to Doyle in early August, restaurant brands had just reported a very strong set of numbers. But the stock barely budged in response, and over the following weeks, it got completely slammed. First by worries about an overstretched consumer, then by concerns about, yeah, that's right, GLP-1 weight loss drugs. The stock plunged from 78 at its peak in July all the way down to 61 its 12th in October. Since then, though, the stock's rebounded to $73 and change, and that was in part because Wall Street got a better attitude, but also because the most recent quarter turned to be pretty darn good. That said, when restaurant brands reported in early November, people didn't know what to do with these numbers. The company delivered slightly better than expected system-wide sales growth, up 10.9% year-over-year. Pair was slightly worse than expected same-store sales, up 7%. Unit growth came in at a, uh, a touch above the 4.1 number that they reported in the previous quarter, although Doyle has said he wants to get that up to 5% by next year. But most important, restaurant brands gave you a $0.05 earnings beat off of an $0.85 basis, and that's what people really liked. Then, look, initially... Eh, you know, it was tepid. No one seemed to care enough. And then the stock actually ended up dropping 3% in the next couple of days. But then it stabilized before rejoining the market-wide rally. At this point, it's up nearly 7% from where it was trading before the quarter. What made these numbers difficult to understand? Let's tackle the biggest problem head-on. Burger King has been the, the company's problem division for a long time now. And it was the main driver of the same-store sales miss. 
every other chain exceeded or met its, its expectations here. But Burger King had a 7.2% same-store sales growth. Wall Street was looking for 8.6%. That's almost an unforgivable difference. While it was a disappointment, if you listen to management on the conference call, you heard about all sorts of positive developments. Burger King's made huge progress boosting traffic after several quarters of negative traffic in the U.S. Traffic was flat this time, and that is a big improvement. Right now, Burger King's growth is virtually all on the international side, so we don't see it here. Those numbers were excellent, including a 5.7% unit growth and, yes, a 7.6% same-store sales growth. That really, that's a very fine number. Restaurant brands caught on solid performance from Australia, the U.K., Mexico, Japan, France. Most of these Burger King locations overseas have a more modern image, and half of their sales are through digital channels, with that number closer to 90% places like South Korea and China. On the domestic side, Burger King's trying to fix itself up, $400 million in investments, everything from advertising to digital ordering to remodeling and new kitchen equipment. But they're still in the early days of this turn. As the money gets spent, I expect better numbers. More important, on the conference call, CEO Josh Kobza noted that enthusiasm seems to be building with the company's franchisees, who are surprisingly willing to invest in their own stores. You won't read that in the news stories recapping the quarter, but it was the single most important piece of news there. See, restaurant brands can do whatever it wants to turn around Burger King, but none of that matters if they can't get the franchisees on board. By the way, this feels similar to the McDonald's turnaround from about eight years ago. The first thing its CEO, then CEO, I should say, Steve Easterbrook did was to placate the franchisees, who actually seemed an open revolt against the company. Now, aside from Burger King, there was a lot to like from restaurant brands. Popeyes, which I used to call Popeyes when I'm from Philadelphia, Popeyes which is really good tasting, did much better than expected. 7% same-store sales growth. Remember they used to do like 3-4% in their loan? When the analysts were only looking for 5 When we last spoke to Patty Doyle in August, he said he was excited about the momentum at Popeye's, especially new menu items like the blackened chicken sandwich, the ghost pepper wings, oh yeah, both of which got mentioned on the conference call. They've seen a big uptick in digital ordering too, and that should help with the throughput problem. At the same time, Popeye's is in the process of renovating its kitchens, make them faster, although they're really just getting started on that front. Even though Burger King gets the most attention and Popeye's had the biggest upside surprise, you need to know that Tim Hortons actually represents the largest chunk of the earnings. Now, if you don't know it, think of Tim Hortons as the Canadian Dunkin' Donuts. And Tim Hortons is making real progress for restaurant brands. They grew the loyalty program to more than 5 million monthly active users. They got their drive through speed up 10% year over year. And they found ways to bring in more business in the evening and the afternoon. Just very solid. So despite initially selling off, buyers came back to restaurant bands after giving it some more thought. Didn't hurt that Bernstein upgraded the stock a little, little over two weeks ago, arguing that Burger King's U.S. business has bottomed. Tim Hortons Canada can grow faster than expected, and the stock simply doesn't get enough credit for the strength of its overseas operations. I could not agree more. I believe Patty Doyle when he says that restaurant brands can get back to 5% same-store same sales, 5% store growth, and the international business is what's going to lead them. As for Burger King, given Doyle's track record at Domino's, I believe you can deliver another stunning turnaround. And Popeye's was clearly bottom. So here's the bottom line. You're, you've already done very well in restaurant bands if you bought it right when they brought in Patrick Doyle as executive chairman. It's now 13 months later, and while there are signs of progress, it's clear the company has a lot more room to improve. And assuming management can deliver, that could mean the stock has a lot more room to run. Let's take calls. Let's go to Hugo in Ohio. Hugo. Jim, pleasure to be back on your show, and thank you for all that you've done for us out uh, here. Thank you for calling in, Hugo. What's going on? Well, I want to know if I should buy more, I own a bunch, sell or hold 
based on a recent pullback of Brown Foreman. There's uh, Brown Foreman makes a lot of what we call the the, uh, the Browns, that the uh, the liquors that are brown color. And right now, those are in decline in this country for the first time in many, many years. So I'm going to caution you that I do not think you should buy any more Brown Foreman. And I know the liquor business fairly well. It's not where you want to be. Let's go to Angelo in Florida. Angelo. Hey, Jim. How are you? I'm good, Angelo. How about you? I'm good. Uh, I, I just want to say that this is my first time calling you on the show, and I love your show. Ah, uh, you're very kind. I'm glad you called in. That's terrific. Let's go to work together. Okay, so I got this stock back in June. It has risen over almost 100% since January. It has risen since 15% over the past month. You have mentioned this stock many times on your show. This is an e-commerce company. And my question is, should I sell at these prices? I'm talking about Shopify. No, I don't want you to sell at these prices. I do have to tell you that I think the stock could go down five, six points, and I don't want you to freak out about that because the stock is up so much. When you have a stock that's up more than, more than 100%, they're always going to be profit takers. However, I want you to think long-term about this company because it's doing everything right to help small, medium-sized businesses, and therefore it's where you want to be. Stay long. Mary in North Carolina. Mary. Hey, how you doing, Jim? Thanks I'm good, Mary. Call. I'm glad you okay. called in. Well, um, I just want to say right off the bat that my husband and I are huge fans of Mad Money, uh, Squawk on the Street, and Squawk Box. You guys oh, are great. thank you. Thank you. I'm glad you were. You, you're a cadre for the network, and I really appreciate it. How can I help you? <laughs> okay, pal. Um, I'm looking at uh, Decker's Outdoor. Uh, Symbol is deck. I just wanted to know what your take is on where the stock is. Okay. Uh, Footwear Apparel has always been a very dicey group. And this stock has moved up so big that I do not want to come in at this level and start buying Deckers. I do think it's good. And they've got a lot of different brands. It's a house of brands, but I can't recommend it all the way up here. It's clear the restaurant brands there's a lot more room to improve. But if you believe your management team can deliver, then the stock could be headed higher from here, much more mad money head. The market looked a bit different this week as we hit record highs. So is your portfolio ready to handle whatever headlines could be before us? We're playing Kramer Fave MI Diversify to see if the portfolio of Kramerica can pass the test. Then, we had a dilemma this morning on our morning meeting for subscribers to the CBC Investing Club. Costco has had a strong year. So should we take something off the table? I'm detailing the difficult decision and what we ended up doing for the club. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. The market has had another great week after the Fed signaled a potential shift in its interest rate policy. But some sectors are doing better than others in this new environment, and I want to make sure you are taking full advantage of it. So that's why we're playing MI Diversify. This is where you call me, you tell me your top five holdings. I tell you if your portfolio is diversified enough, maybe you need to mix it up a little. So let's start with Bill in Michigan. Bill, you're our first caller. What do you got for me? Oh, I was on your thing about am I invested well, and... Uh, I'm invested in Eli Lilly, Microsoft, IBM, Procter & Gamble, and Amgen. All right. Let me take a look at these. Very interesting. By the way, IBM doing incredibly well. I had to confess that the other day. Uh, Procter & Gamble down on its luck right now just because of interest rate sensitives. Uh, Microsoft doing fantastic. One of the Magnificent Seven. Eli Lilly, our favorite for the uh, Travel Trust. And that leaves Amgen. And I don't want Amgen in here because that conflicts with Eli Lilly. So we're going to have to make a change. I would like to see... Uh, 
I want to see, I'll tell you what I want to see. I want to see Honeywell here because it is a cyclical stock that is still not blazing through its 52-week high. You make that change and then you will be diversified. Let's go to Michael in California. Michael. Hello. Hi, Jim. How you doing? Good. Yeah, I just wanted to uh, get your quick opinion on gold. Sure. Go ahead. Your, you have your portfolio? Um, Do you have five well, stocks, sir? Wanted, yeah, um, my five stocks? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Uh, Tesla, Ulta, uh, Brookshire, Hathaway, Ralph Lauren, and Gold. Good, good. All right, let's take a look at this. Um, all right, Ulta, tremendous retailer, high growth. Uh, we've got Berkshire Hathaway. We know that's a conglomerate that's run by, uh, by Warren Buffett. Ralph Lauren is a company that's doing far better than people realize, which is apparel. Uh, Tesla is an auto-slash-tech company. And Barrick is a gold company. So we have gold retail diversified. Uh-oh. Is Ralph Lauren the same as Ulta? I'm going to call this apparel, not retail. And then we'll be able to save it. And then you can keep the gold company and keep Tesla. But that's apparel, not retail. All right, let's go to Doug in Alabama. Doug. Hey, Jim. Roll Tide. What's up, man? Yeah, good. Roll Tide. Totally. Go ahead. All right. Yeah, I've got um, Tesla, Albemarle, Arm, Ford, and Exxon. I bought Exxon today, and I sold Uber today. Well, you know, Exxon's down big. I think that actually makes a lot of sense. All right. Albemarle, we got um, got lithium. We have Tesla. Uh Uh-oh, lithium and Tesla. That's a problem. We've got Tesla and Ford. That can be considered a problem. Arm is semi. That's good. Gas is semi. We've got to break this up here. Uh, I'm going to stick with the Honeywell. I don't want to deviate too much for the cyclical. And here we're going to put in Eli Lilly instead of Ford. Just because we we can't have this. What we have is an auto complex here. And if we have an auto complex and rates go up, autos go down, and everything that you have will start heading down. We give you a little diversification. That won't happen. All right. How about uh, Joseph? Uh, it's your last caller. Joseph in Florida. Joseph. Hey, Jim. Booyah. Booyah, my friend. What's going on? Hey, man. Merry Christmas. Sure. Uh, you so too. I said, a couple of, I said a question for you. I'm looking to diversify uh, my portfolio, and I have um, Shopify, Affirm, Verizon, Tesla, and Amazon. Right. What do you All think? Right. All right. A lot of Teslas today. Okay. So, you know, what some would say that Shopify conflicts with a firm, this buy now, pay later, and this uh, for mostly for e-com, and this is uh, e-com fulfillment. I'm going to say it's okay, because a firm can be buy now, pay later for lots of different things. So we've got Shopify and Amazon. Some people say those are conflicting, but this has Amazon Web Services, which is $92 billion. I'm going to let that go. So we've got Let's say we've got a diversified retail and tech complex. We've got a fulfillment for e-commerce. We have an auto. We have buy now, pay later, and we have a telco. And I'm going to let that go. I just think that uh, I myself would not want to own both of these. But I understand the desire to have fulfillment and be able to have this colossus that also happens to include retail. That money's back in the break. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky's the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. Monday, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. Hopefully, you buy more of that canvas for your next big party. 
Do you think so I do Jenny remember enjoying that. I wouldn't know. I'm not a scotch drinker. I'm sorry. Not. Scotch rocks. No. I like mezcal, though. Particularly... Phosphoro. Yes, phosphoro. There we go. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. I love you, man. I've been watching you from day one. Thank you for all the wonderful advice that you provide us. I'm learning so much watching your show. Watch your program every day. I love it. Always wanted to say booyah on your show. Thank you for being the greatest in the world. We consider you the money market maker, and we thank you for all you do. I love your show. I'm a long-time fan of your show, and we think it's the most entertaining program on TV. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski Daddy, time for the lightning round. Kramers is going to start with Liam in Florida. Liam. Jimbo. Yo, yo. Tell him to bring out the lobster. The market's hot. I like that. What are we looking for in, in, uh... Miss that. Stock. Alibaba, what are we looking oh, for? Alibaba, no, we're not Jimbo. recommending the Chinese stocks. I'm sorry. I mean, like it would be fun to recommend it because it's so low, but I am not going to get caught. It can bounce and then go. Let's go to um, Doug in Connecticut. Doug. Hey, Jimmy. Yo, hey. man. Jimmy What's up? Ball. I hope everything is going well. Hey, you got a big game on Monday night. Hopefully, the uh, it's a huge game. Out. It's a huge game, and I don't like you to be on the road with the 12th man. I'm just very worried about Medcalf, frankly. How can I help you? Well, you made a call on Clock on the Street a couple of weeks ago on Rivian. And I got to yeah. tell you, right after that, I picked it up. I'm up 40%. I know you be the man. Is, you know, no one's lost money taking a profit, but what should I do? Okay, so Rivian's up a lot. So I think I want you to take half off and let the rest run. I had a good call on Rivian because I think Rivian is the one that is the survivor. And I appreciate you calling it out for me. Let's go to Connie in California. Connie. Hi, Jim. Connie. Thanks for your help. Oh, you're quite welcome. What are you? You sound fired up. What's going on? I never heard of Teradyne until this week. Is it a good? Is it good for the long haul? Yes, it's very good. It's semiconductor tested equipment. A very well-run company. I think you should buy some. Let's go to Julian in California. Julian. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. My name is Jeff. <laughs> My name is Jeff, and I'm a teacher teaching students about stocks and investing. I have oh. Julian here, a student of mine that wants to ask you a question. Yeah, put Julian on. No problem. Well, howdy, Jim. I'm calling from Academy of the Redwoods in Eureka, California, and I was wondering about your opinion of the current state of the stock of Roblox. Okay, this stock just keeps going up and up and up. That's not a reason to recommend a stock. I will tell you this, though. That last quarter was actually pretty darn good. I need to go to Tom in Maine. Tom. Hey, Jim. Long time, second time. Nice question is about Eaton Corporation. It's it won't come in. Holding. It won't come in. I'm trying to buy it for the Chapel Trust. We actually sold some Emerson and Oracle, so we can buy a lot of Eaton. It hasn't come down. It won't come down. I don't know. I mean, I really like the stock, but I can't pay up here. I want it to come down. Let's go to Dave in Florida. Dave. Hey, Jim. Great to talk to you. This is Dave from Boynton Beach, Florida. First time Terrific. before. Club, All right. Club member and longtime subscriber. Yes. Put a Thank you. I received... Uh, Hundred share allocation to the Street IPO back in the day. Oh my! Oh, 1999. Woo! Yep, and promptly sold it for a quick profit. I might add. Well done. That said, I'm calling to get your view on a provider of outsourced semiconductor semiconductor packaging and test services. Company recently announced it's investing two billion dollars to build a new plant in Arizona. 
identified Apple as one of its major customers. The stock has a P of 20, hit a 52-week high today. What are your thoughts on Amcar technology, symbol okay. AMKR? Look, I, you know, David, because you know, because you've been with me for a very long time, you know, I can't recommend a straight up. If I recommend a straight up and it goes down, I feel awful about it. I need it to come in. I'm willing to admit that if it keeps going higher from here, it's going to have to be done without me. And I'm sorry, but discipline is more important than conviction. Let's go to Matt in Colorado. Matt. Yeah, thanks for taking my call. Oh, Matt, good to have you, man. What's going on? My stock is Copart. I remember when James Altucher came to me for that in the street.com, maybe 20 years ago. I looked at it. I could not believe the steady stream of what they do, which is salvage vehicles and parts from it. What a winner that is. You got a good call that. Gary in North Carolina. Gary. Hi, uh, Jimbo. How you doing this evening? Uh, Chief, I'm doing fine. How about you? Doing good, sir. Thank you. Uh, my question to you is, I'm calling about uh, Marsh and McLillan, MMC. Is Marsh Mac, Marsh Mac, consistent company, just churns out the dollars, uh, buy some and then buy some a little bit lower. Even if it doesn't go there, then you have to take a pass. But that is just a consistent good company. Now we're going to Keith in California. Keith. What up, Jimmy C? How's it going, the wizard of my Roth IRA? Last year, I called in about a really, really cool stock that you gave us uh, called EPD. I'm really happy with it between its awesome dividend and selling cover calls against it. I'm up about 13% this year. I'll take it. Today, I'm calling in about a stock in the same sector called Energy Transfer, ticker symbol ET. Energy Transfer is doing well. I have been against it for a while because I thought they took down too much debt. But I got to tell you, it is a winner. And thank you for highlighting something that I did right last year. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by Charles Schwab. Coming up, ring the register or make a wholesale commitment to this longtime Kramer favorite? A good problem to have, and we solve it when Mad Money returns. Jim Kramer, the diehard of the dollar. Hey, Jimmy, love the show. My five-year-old grandson loves to watch your show. I have to thank you for making us money when it's there to be made. Our world is a better place with you in it. Booyah, Jim. Your integrity makes you the Booyah Saint of Wall Street. Booyah, Jimmy Chill. Booyah, Jimmy Chill. Booyah, Jim. Quadruple. That's a lot of booyahs. Good evening, Mr. Kramer. Thank you. Thank you for everything you do. You've been such a wonderful source of information with your teachings. I have to say thanks. Thank you for all your advice and saving us from ourselves. Your advice let me quit a job that I hated. I love you to death. Thank you for everything you do. Thanks for making us money. More importantly, thanks for keeping us from losing money. the lemon, our morning meeting for the CNBC Investing Club today. We were talking about Costco, now up 44% for the year after a 4.5% gain today, and how we should probably ring the register on at least part of the position. But we couldn't. We couldn't bring ourselves to do it. We couldn't because nobody does it better than Costco. 
There simply isn't another retailer in the world that comes close to these guys in terms of offering its customers value and, yes, whimsy. When you find a stock like Costco, sometimes you just have to hold on to it for dear life. That's how I feel after the incredible quarter Costco reported last night. They delivered a remarkable set of numbers that defied all the talk about a cash-trapped consumer. The company saw a 7% increase in cardholders to $129.5 million with consistent growth throughout the quarter. They had $1.08 billion in membership fee income, up 8.2%. They said goods inflation was between 0 and 1%, with some things dropping 20 to 30% in price. Thanks to lower freight costs. Great news for shoppers. Best of all, Costco announced they're going to pay you a one-time special $15 dividend. Their fifth in 11 years, effective January 12th. Who doesn't want a special dividend? No wonder the stock rallied $28 in one session. There are so many things that make this company special. Some of it's their incredible assortment of merchandise. CFO Rich Glaney runs a tight ship of a conference call, and he talked about how Costco sold an autographed Babe Ruth index card for 20 grand. Apparently, there's also an autographed Mickey Mantle 1951 rookie card, nearly perfect condition, with your name on it. Well, maybe. They sold $100 million worth of gold in one-ounce bars, no markup. Oh, and let's not forget the 2.9 million pumpkin pies they moved in the three days leading up to Thanksgiving, along with the 1.3 million apple and pecan pies. Take my word for it, they're all delicious. When Costco reports, there's always an element of disbelief among the analyst community. One asked how the company's appealing to, say, younger members. Kalani gave him a slam-dunk answer, quote, if you compare, everybody was always concerned. I remember 10-plus years ago, people would ask, how are you going, to, uh, going after the millennials? Then it's how you're going after next gen or whatever, the Gen Z or whatever. The tr- then he hits you with the truth about how a great retail responds, quote, at the end of the day, when we look at the different cohorts, if you just change their names, the curve seems to be about the same in terms of getting new, younger members. They buy less, they buy more as they get older into that 40 to 55-year-old sweet spot, end quote. In other words, everyone loves the club, and as they get older and wealthier, they love it even more. How about shoplifting, the bane of retail existence these days? An analyst asked if Costco had a problem with shoplifting. Thankfully, no, Glanty said, which prompted me to think, Would you steal from your own club? I'm glad he doesn't talk about it, but I would be remiss if I didn't mention the company's charitable giving through those checkout donations. Maybe it's the quirkiness. Maybe it's the values. Maybe it's the way they make you feel at home. It's a concept that works worldwide. Great success in China, Spain, Japan, UK, Mexico. I think Costco can work pretty much anywhere. And that's why we just can't bring ourselves to sell the stock for the charitable trust. It's just too darn great. Others might feel the same, where it wouldn't have shot up 4% in a day. Why can't more companies be like Costco, which, by the way, pays its employees better than any other retailer in the world in terms of salary and benefits? People love to talk about corporate culture, and most of the time I think that's hot air. But the Costco culture is for real. They have virtually no turnover, so they don't have the dead weight loss of mass training. They promote from within. The new CEO, Ron Fakris, was a forklift operator for the company who started in 1982. And they know you when you go into Costco, know you by name. I remember one time going into my Costco and the crab leg guy said hi to me by name. I figured, yes, he watches the show. But then he said hi by name to everyone else in line. Mm-hmm. So we hold on to Costco for the Chapel Trust, and it keeps making us money. Now, of course, that's not all it does. But for the purpose of this show, that's more than enough. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you Monday. Last fall starts now. 
All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warn its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Mad Money Disclaimer. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee.